And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% and on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John all right, guys, you're here with uh, Josh Thompson. Big John doesn't even need an introduction. Come on. I don't even know why I continue to inter introduce him. He doesn't need one. Big John McCarthy, I'm going to say it anyways. Okay, uh, we're obviously going to talk about... Bellator. <clears throat> Two shows back-to-back. -back. Two big shows back-to-back. Good shows. So, Good great shows. shows. Um, let's talk about Friday night first, and then we'll break into Saturday night. I know how you like to try to cross-talk things, and it just messes everyone don't up. Don't do so it. Don't do it. All right, I won't do it. Let's do... We're going to talk basically... We've got Jake Hager, and he is fighting... Anthony Garrett. Anthony Garrett. That's a good fight, actually, because you got to be honest, Bellator has taken care of Jake Hager in bringing him forward. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that will go with this, and people are... Everyone expects, because he's got a name from the professional world of wrestling, that, oh, you should just get him killed. And it's like, it's crazy. They, you know, that's what happened with CM Punk and did that help that doesn't help the promotion it doesn't help the fighter because they're giving up a lot in not having that amateur fight not having those fights that they can gain experience of what it's like to go out and then when you talk about going out under the big lights yes the wrestler has had those big light experiences but they have not had that big light experience with it being real and with the ability for someone to punch them in the mouth and see how they respond. So I think that the Bellator as a promotion has been smart with Jake, but you can definitely tell in this fight, there's a step up in competition. Anthony Garrett is a guy, he's a big guy. He, he's very much like Jake Hager. Uh, he's got 265 pounds on him, but it's pretty solid pounds. He's aggressive. He likes to fight the exact same way we've seen Jake Hager fighting in his two professional fights. So it's an interesting contrast as far as they both match up pretty well. One's got a more decorated background in amateur wrestling, but one's a guy that I think accepts getting hit in the face a little bit better too. So it's going to be a close fight. People use the big light experience, the big light experience um, too much. The reason why I'm going to say too much is, look, the big light experience is for the, the big lights the week of the fight, it can settle and calm your nerves. I think that's good. But when you actually get in there, you hear it all the time, talking about professional uh, or top jujitsu guys, how they've competed at the highest level. You put them into a fight though, it's no. a big difference. They go from black belts to being the best black belt, one of the best black belts in the world. Now all of a sudden, they're white belts. Yeah. Every punch, their belt drops a low, uh, uh, another level. Another down. level, that's So true. they go from a black belt, brown belt, purple belt, every time someone gets hit. Every also, they're a white belt. They're a white belt. Yes. So their jujitsu goes right out the door. <clears throat> I. That light experience, the big light experience, the big arena, all those things, sure, he's used to that. Uh, not, not when it comes to getting punched in the face. Not when it comes to being punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. it's a different, it's a, just a different aspect that you have to deal with because now there's, every time that you walk out as a professional wrestler with the WWE will say, as you walk out, you know what the end result is. Mm -hmm. And so you can even tell certain people, hey, yeah, tonight I'm losing. You know, I'm giving that belt up or whatever it is. And that's fine. That's part of what that is. But when you are fighting, you have family sitting out in the audience. You have trainers that have worked with you that you want to perform for. You want to show them, hey, I've listened to you. I, I'm, I'm following what this game plan is. And sometimes that, that you are. Sometimes you do everything but 
because the atmosphere gets to you and it's partly how much there is as far as that atmosphere and then how much you're being confronted with inside of the cage sometimes it's just overwhelming yeah the big line experience is the week of i think it calms the nerves you're used to the media you're used to people shaking your hands trying to get a hold of you trying to talk to you that will help jake hager throughout this week but when it comes fight time when he gets in that cage it's not going to help him nah. the reality sets in once the first punch is thrown once the, the once big john says let's get it on it, the reality sets in like crap i'm here this is for real and it doesn't. It makes a, it makes a huge difference on the fact during the week you can keep your not your nerves calm. Yeah. Maybe there won't be as a big of an adrenaline dump for Jake Hager because he's been under the bright lights. Yep. He's been with 15, 50, sometimes fifty thousand people in yep. the arena. So he's probably used to that, which he is used to that part. But it's different when you're actually like you said when you don't know the outcome already and you have to go out there and perform. You're trying to perform for the people that have helped you get there. Yeah. You know, as well as your family, as well as for yourself. It only takes one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One to make all of that hard work go right down the drain. Yeah, very true. So, and, very and true. that's, that creates a pressure that you've got to learn how to deal with. So, next fight? Next fight on the card for that, I believe I, I could be out of position. Beck Rollins. Beck Rollins against... Ilara. Ilara Joran. I don't, I, don't, I, don't mess, I don't mispronounce her last yeah. name. I always want to say Joran. From Brazil, you know, fights out of the, uh, the Pitbulls training camp. Yes. She's got, you know, Leandro Higgins going to be in her corner. She's a gamer. Beck Rollins is a girl I've, I've known for a long time. I did when she first came to the States for her first fight. It was against Carla Esparza mm -hmm. for the Invicta. I want to say it was the strawweight championship at the time. And uh, so 115 pounds. And really was impressed with her because she was just this gritty girl that kept on she kept on getting taken down by carla but as the fight went on carla was getting these takedowns but it was beck that was doing the damage in the fight and giving carla a lot of problems and then you know she came out went went to the ufc went on the tough but her last three fights have been bare knuckle mm -hmm. she has been fighting you know bkb and she's been doing good she is the Women's champion at 125 pounds. That's for, you know, the Police Gazette is the old style of bare knuckle fighting. They're the ones that appoint those titles. And she really has talked about that she's changed as far as the way she's gonna approach fighting and that the bare knuckles really helped her in understanding how to attack someone in the stand-up, not only going to their head, but going to their body. I think it's gonna be a really competitive fight. You brought up a good thing though right there. You said it right there, 125. Yeah. That was the difference. I think that's going to be the difference in this fight here. She, at 115, was killing herself. She couldn't make the weight. She had talked to the UFC about her going up, and the UFC said, no, like, no, we're going to keep you where you're at. If you don't like it, you can go to, you can go to Bellator. Yeah, but you got, you got to admit, at the time that she was there in the 115s as a strawweight, they didn't really have a flyweight division. So she would have had to have gone up to 135. Yeah. So I think she was trying to get them to put in a... Flyweight division for the women. Eventually, that did happen. Yeah. I think it was just, you know, happened after her time there. Very too late. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they the, talked about her bare knuckle fights. Look, I think it's going to add a new dimension to her. Whether it's the fact that she understands now on how to keep the range with little gloves to no gloves, bare knuckle, but also just using the body, like you were talking about. She had talked about it today in the fight interviews how important it was for her to go to the body and not always go to the head to keep her hands Can't. safe. You can't. So I think she has learned also, too, how to stick and move and use her footwork a lot more. 
And I, my concern was is that, look, you spent a year and a half doing three fights in bare knuckle fighting, becoming the champ there. Then when you come back to MMA, you're going to be facing someone in Alara, basically, who's going to probably try to take you down. Oh, yeah. Or just going to kind of come forward, not really let you settle into a boxing position. She's going to try to cover the distance, get in her grill, make it more of a brawl, and try to get in on the legs, get the takedown, get to top position, and do some work. That Pitbull camp, I got to tell you, like, they right now are just on the rise. You got Henry Cejudo, you got Patricky, you got Patricio, you got Higo just had a great win. Uh, his last performance against uh, over Sean Bunch. Um, look, and beating Shawnee Bunch right now. I know. Shawnee Bunch was on the rise, and Shawnee Bunch was doing a great job in that fight. Yep, made a mistake. Made a mistake, and that's, that's what you can do when you got good submission. But it's not just that, but then you're, you're coming from a camp that knows how to weather the storm when things aren't going your way, and they know how to to adapt in between rounds, and that's what he did. He, yeah. made the, uh, he made the adaption, and he was able to get something. Now, Elara, can she do the same thing? That's the thing. Can she get in there and adapt while Beck Rollins is sticking and moving? Instead of chasing her around, she's going to have to cut the cage off and get to the double leg, get on top, do some work, some damage, and maybe some submissions. But I think the one thing, like Beck Rollins said today, is she is her grappling is drastically underestimated. She's got really good submissions. She's good off her back. And like you were saying, she did a lot of good work against Carlos Spar yeah, from the bottom. She did a lot of damage from the yep. bottom. So now with the way the rules are, which I'm going to refer to you, okay? The rules are, is like, we don't care if you get taken down as much as if you're doing damage. Yeah. Okay? We've seen that lately now from a lot of the, on a lot of the shows. A lot of the judges, are, per, they're doing it the right way. If you're doing more damage from the bottom and from the guard position, Elbows to the head, elbows to the face, pushing the face off, trying to make, trying to create submissions and trying to create damage. That's going to get you a win over just trying to hold you down. The old school of MMA that we had seen before for years. Yeah. Now well, you got to look and say, what's the difference between two people that are in this position standing up, or if they're down here? If if I'm against you against the cage, and I've got you up against the cage, we're in the standing position. What's the difference if we're on the ground? So the guard and everything is, you know, that's what we do to control. But it used to be as soon as the fight hit the ground, it was all about, oh, the person that took it down, they got all this credit, and they got all the credit for being on the ground. And basically, if you didn't get up from that position or you didn't end up creating and completing a submission, being the bottom fighter, you weren't going to win that round. And it was just ridiculous. It was ludicrous. And we have a lot of judges now. They understand the ground very well. And they're giving credit. If you get a takedown, it really depends on what type of takedown it is and as far as how it's going to score with the judges. If you get a takedown that we say has, it's called amplitude, meaning I elevate you up. I get you up off of the floor and now I bring you down with impact. Now it's going to score. No matter what, no matter if it's BJ Penn and he's back up, he still hit the ground. That ground is the same as getting hit with a shot. The judges are going to take and they're going to put that in their mind. That was a good takedown. If you take someone down, we'll say, you know, you get a nice inside trip and then you just roll down to the ground. Now it's a matter of, yes, you've changed the position of the fight. So since you wanted to change the position of the fight, what are you doing down there? What are you going to do with that change of position? And if you don't do anything with it that's effective, you're not going to get any credit for bringing it down there. I, I agree with you. Uh, what I also like, though, too, with the, <clears throat> with the way the judges are scoring things now, the refs have also changed a little bit. 
before guys from the bottom or girls from the bottom would look at the ref as they would hold him and say, let me up. He's not doing anything. Well, he's not doing anything because you're squeezing them bare tight and he's not able to move. Um, your objective from the bottom should always be either to submit or get up. Yep. One of those things. Submit, or try to do damage submit reverse, or get up. You know, um, those are the things that I, I like that the refs have done. Like, hey, make the person from the bottom actually work to get up. You can't just hold me there. Like, you're the one actually holding that person in that position. That means you're not trying to get to a better position yourself either. Yeah, and that, we talk about that. You know, when a person closes their guard, they can do that. That's part of the sport. That's legal. It's okay. And there's reasons to do it. Sometimes it's, I've been hurt. And I need to slow this fight down and I need to collect myself. So boom, grab that, pull them in. All of that is legal fighting. But in the back, the fighters have been told by the official, hey, you do that. That's fine. It's legal. Don't look up to me like, hey, when are you going to stand this up? Because I'm not. You are the one that is stalling my fight. I'm not going to reward you for stalling. Now, if the person on top along with you stalls, I'll stand it up because top person is stalling. But if the person on top is trying to break through anything you're doing, they're working and I see that they are working towards breaking out of what you're doing so they can try to advance their position or try to land strikes. I'm going to give them all the time in the world to do that because you're the one stalling and they're the one trying to fight. So you don't want to give an advantage to somebody that is actually the one creating the problem in your fight. I agree. Now the next fight to me is extremely interesting because he's a teammate of mine. Easy Ed Ruth, three-time national champ from Penn State. To me, he has all the tools. Yes, yeah, I agree with you. Got the dynamic of the wrestling. He's the probably the one of the most credited wrestlers in all of wrestling in all of MMA. Um, he's fighting Jason Jackson. Jason Jackson is prepared for everything. He's got experience, but he's also prepared for anything Ed's ready to throw at him. Yep. But we've seen lapses in his, some of his past fights. We've seen lapses in some of his, where he just, when it's not going his way, will he fold or will he rise to the occasion? That's one thing. And then we've seen also Ed. Ed doesn't use all of his tools. Nope. And that concern with me. Oh, that's what kills me about it. has been the concern with me is I've trained with him. I spar with him. I've grappled with him. He's heavy on top. He's got enormous hands for good wrist control and, and arm control and grip control. And he's really good all the way around. He's got great head kicks, never really throws them. Very rarely does he. It's like... But the one thing that kills me, like he kills you, he does not wrestle. Doesn't even, doesn't even threaten. Yeah. Doesn't threaten his wrestling ability. Doesn't even threaten the takedown. And you look and you go, you're making the fight more difficult mm -hmm. for you and easier for your opponent by fighting the way you're fighting. Because right now, Ed has become this guy. He loves the stand-up, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. But your stand-up is good. Jason Jackson's stand-up is good. He's a long, rangy fighter who controls distance well. He throws heavy shots. He's got very good knees inside. And the one area that I can look and say, if I'm looking on paper, where does Ed Ruth have an advantage in this fight? It's clear he has an advantage in the wrestling department. He can decide if he wants to bring this fight to the ground to put Jason Jackson on his back, and now let's see who's better from this position. And I don't think he'll even threaten it. He will try to stand up and knock Jason Jackson out. Yeah, I think the only time we're going to see, because he has finishes now, after not, after not using his wrestling for, for all the fights that he's had in Bellator, 
He's got plenty of knockout finishes. Knees to the bodies, knockouts on the He feet. hurts people. He hurts people. He's got good head movement. He he kind of lulls you to a sleep a little he bit. He just keeps he just kind of He doesn't he doesn't you pressure you, but he pressures you. Yeah. He just does it in a way that looks like he, and it's the same way he used to wrestle. We used to talk about how he wrestled. He would walk out on the mat and you know and shake hands and, and just wait and touch and and then the guy would explode on him and he would just counter it. And that's what he's kind of doing now as an MMA fighter. He just goes out and, you know, he picks, he, he is bringing offense, but a lot of times it looks like he's just out there sparring. He's just playing. He's just having a good time, which is, I like that he's having a good time, but I would like to see him make people contend with that wrestling aspect. Let go of it. I don't care. It's the same as like what Juan Archuleta does. Juan Archuleta lets go of guys all the time. Yeah. You know, but he makes them at least have to deal with the concept of, I might take you down. You know, and then he jumps out of it, does jumping knees, all kinds of cool stuff in letting the guy go. And I'm looking at Ed Ruth and go, you could do that so well and be so effective with it. But he just likes to stand up. It's like, and there's something about Penn State. And we talked about this because I got Phil Davis, who is a NC2A champion out of Penn State. And I got Ed Ruth, a three-time champion. And neither one of them want to wrestle. So if you go to Penn State, when you are done with your career, you do not want to wrestle anymore. It's it's <laughs> almost as if like they just work the wrestling they, out of them. They work it <laughs> work to the point. I never want to do that again. Um, look, there's no doubt he has all the tools. There's no doubt that he can mix it up. I've trained with him, sparred with him. He's got great head kicks. He's got good wrestling. He's, he does lack a little bit in the submission department. Yeah. We've talked about that. And the reason why he lacks in the submission department, he said it today. Who wants to end fights with submission? That's boring. <laughs> that when you have someone you're at that me. level, you're killing me, man. Get him in, get him out. That's the thing. We don't get paid by the minute, man. Like, get him in, get him out. So the faster I get him out there, plus we had the conversation today. I was like, hey, you start threatening the takedowns, man. The knockouts will come a lot easier because yeah. now they're so afraid of your takedowns. And all the the years I've experienced of training with people. I actually have this little like foot sweep thing that I like to do to people. It's real easy. I have not a lot of risk when I do it. And I foot swept him. And before I could actually fall on top of him, he hit his butt and bounced back up on the double leg and took me down. I was like, you little shit. But that's the type of yeah, explosion kinda... he has. That's the type of, um, yeah, exp basically explosion he has to get from the, his butt to the legs and stand back up with you. I mean, I don't want to say that it's, it, it's, I don't want to say it's all genetic, but like he really just, he ingrains it in himself that he doesn't want to settle for those little those bottom positions. And I, instead, when people talk about, I, he calls him Easy Ed Ruth, I used to watch him wrestle at Penn State. I called him Sleepy Ed Ruth. He would <laughs> walk it, out on yeah. the mat like he was asleep. That's just it. Like he didn't want to be there. Yeah. And then he would touch hands. He would just put his hand on the head. He'd push the shoulder. And the guy would shoot. And he would just shove, he would step the guy's take down, circle to the back, or hit the, yeah. or he'd let the guy pop up, snatch a single, and just dump him. And I'm like, head drag him down. Yeah. Him but I mean, I just look at it, he's so good. It's, there's elements of his game that if you, if you look and you said, if he would bring this element out, he would make himself so much more dangerous. Yeah. You know, and the guy he's fighting, Jason, you know, a lot of people can sit there and talk. He's had some hard times. He broke his ankle when he, he, he went on the Dana White Contender Series. And that was a big chance for him. And he steps back and he breaks his ankle. You know, there's just bad luck. There's nothing you can do about that. He had one fight in the Ultimate Fighter against Graves where he was beating the piss. Yep. Yep. 
out of Graves in that fight and was looking for the referee to stop it. Now, Graves, he's, he's hanging in there, but he was hurt. Yeah. But <clears throat> referee didn't stop it. Just keep doing what you're doing. The referee, as Jason puts his hand on the fence and kind of grabs it as he's hitting, hits his hand and kind of, and everything falls apart from there. And it's the one thing that we look at with Jason. We said, you just need to stay focused. Yeah. Give me 15 minutes of focus and you're going to do great. You're going to be fantastic because you're athletic, you're strong, you're fast. These guys match up really well. The one area that I know, Ed Ruth is better. He's got the better wrestling. But I don't think it's going to be a factor in the fight. And I think it might be the determination, determining factor of who wins this fight. That's really what it comes down to is are we going to see Ed use his wrestling? And if we don't, I, don't think so. I think it's going to make it a way tougher fighter for Ed Ruth. You know, and I guess if you guys want to see if Ed uses the rest, you got to tune in and watch. So, <laughs> look, next would be the other Penn State wrestler, Phil Davis. Ah. Phil Davis, and I'm not, I'm not going to try to murder his, his last name, Carl. Carl the King Albrechtson. Albrechtson, okay, from Sweden. From Sweden. From Good Sweden. guy, man. Yeah. yeah. Cut his hair, though. I'm very disappointed. Yeah, I was expecting to see I'm him. very disappointed. He used to have the puff. Yeah, looked like a Q-tip. Yeah, he looked like a, a used Q-tip. It was awesome. I loved it, but... Uh, he cut the hair. All right. It's okay. It's still blonde. But this is a guy that, you know, is nobody really knows mm -hmm. here in the States because they haven't been watching him. He's been fighting in Europe, fighting in Japan with Ryzen. He's good. You know, and he said some things in the fighter meetings mm -hmm. and stuff that I was like, you know, he believes he's going to take Phil down. He's going to be on top of Phil. Why and, does he believe that? Tell us why. Well, he said, he goes, he doesn't remember, but he trained with me. Yep. He said he came to Sweden with Alexander Gustafsson, and he says, and you know, we're all on the mats. He says, and you know, we we were doing a little bit of training. He says he doesn't remember. He goes, but I trained with him. He says, and he goes, I remember. And you gotta say, Phil made a statement in talking about him, and because I, I looked at Phil and said, hey, you know, there's not a lot of upside when you're taking on a guy that people don't know. It's kind of rough, and you've been in that position yeah. where you know they're going to offer you a fight against a guy that you you look and you go, I know he's tough. I've seen him. Yeah, he's a tough guy. And if I win, other than getting my paycheck, it's not going to do anything for me right now because no one's going to give me credit for beating him. Yeah. And Phil came up with a very good line that I really loved. He said, he goes, you know what? I do know how good he is. He goes, and I figure if I'm going to get him, let me get him now. Let me get that win against him now. He said, and I can walk away, and if I want to fight him again after that, maybe I will, maybe I won't, but i got to win against him. And I, I, I was like, all right. I rooted that back to Floyd Mayweather doing that to Canelo Alvarez. Yeah. He did it to him while he was still young. I believe Canelo Very was smart. 20 years old. Mayweather was kind of on his way out, wanted the big money fight, fought a Mexican fighter. On, I believe they fought on Cinco de Mayo. Yep. It was like, hey, what better way to make a ton of money <clears throat> on top of the fact that that kid right there, he knew was going to be someone who was going to be a superstar. Was going to get better. And I will always have a win on that kid's record as I prance out the door. Yep. Okay, and so he made a ton of money and did that. That's exactly kind of what Phil Davis doing. Sure, the kid, he knows the kid's tough. Physically, he's strong, good on the feet. Got tough. Good speed, good power. Durable. Very durable. Good on top when he gets to the top position. 
But to touch back on what we were talking about, he said, yeah, I've trained with Phil Davis. Now, he also said I sparred one round with him, and I was able to take him down. And I said, look, I want to just remind people what Allen Iverson said. Man, we're talking about practice? <laughs> Bro, we are not talking about practice. We're not talking about practice. What happens in practice don't mean shit. It doesn't mean a damn thing. If that mattered, Vitor Belfort would own every weight class belt in the world. Because everyone talked about how great Vitor Belfort was. He in, was. In practice. Really. In practice, he was When it just came to you. the fight. There was moments he shined, and there was moments where he just couldn't get it done. Yeah. You know, and then th those, are the, those are the things we're talking about. So when you're trying to compare things that happen in practice, no. Because I was the kid that always got beat up by 135-pounders in the gym. Okay, But when the lights turn on, right, you got to perform. And I was lucky enough to have, be able to kind of perform sometimes at a good level. You know, um, sometimes I performed to the level of my competition, which wasn't good. <laughs> you know, but, but it happens. It happens. But no. like I said... You can't take away from practice, you know, because when I, when I, I'm just using this, a lot of fighters don't have good camps. No. But they come out, perform really well. Well, it's true. a little bit of that week or that 10 days of rest before your fight gets you rejuvenated. Maybe you push too hard during camp. It could be anything. Phil Davis was also in Sweden when they sparred, yep. apparently. And he was out there for the Gustafson fight, helping Gus get ready. And, you know, he came in. So those, all those things in consideration, you can't take a lot from that. So those of you guys at home that are listening and thinking like, oh, you know, yeah, they worked together, and oh, he was able to take Phil Davis down, or all oh, they worked, you know, whatever it was. It's practice. It's practice, yeah. man. Let's, yeah, let's not get carried away. It is one of the things you'll hear a lot of, oh, in the gym. You know, I, I can remember one time Clay Guida came out to my gym, and, you know, all my guys, were there, and they were they were you know, doing very well with Clay. And they're all like, ah, man, I said, dude, it ain't a fight. No. I go, don't, don't get that false confidence. That ain't a fight. So you want to fight him now? Right? And they're like, yeah, okay, you, you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's practice. Yep, yep, exactly. You're right. Uh, we're going to go to the main event, which is basically a rematch. It is a rematch. It's, a basically, it's no, been it's a rematch multiple, time multiple rematch. times in different They bands. have a grappler's quest that they did in the competing against each other. Big Country, Roy Nelson won that one back against he Frank Mir in grappler's quest. Uh, I was there at that. It was, a, it was a close match. Yeah. Big Country did, uh, did what he needed to do to get the win. Okay. Then Frank Mir and him fought in MMA in the UFC. Uh, Frank kind of ran away with that one, though. Yeah, you know, I got the win on that he one. Got the win on that one. But now we're here in Bellator, and they're going to run it back again. Well, you got to look and say, both guys need a win. Yeah. Let's be honest. You know, Roy Nelson has come in here and took on Javi Ayala. Looked good in doing it, but you know, couldn't get rid of Javi the you way he, he wanted good? to. Well, and this is why I say he looked good. He at least went to Plan B. Roy was getting hit by Javi and going, oh no, this is not going good. I'm landing shots, he's landing shots, and he's hurting me a little yeah. bit. Takes him off of his feet and uses, he's got good jiu-jitsu, he's got a good wrestling base. He's heavy on top, and you're, you're going to hear all kinds of people say, oh, of course he's heavy on top. Roy's not that <laughs> big a guy, but he is heavy, he, he can hold position well, and he can do damage, yeah. and he, ground, he grounded out a victory not the way he wanted. He obviously wanted to go out there and get a knockout. It wasn't going to happen against Javi, but he got the win. But after that, you know, he had the matchup with Mitrione. He lost that. He's close, like, though. Yeah, close it, was, it was close. You know, close Roy was uh, definitely coming on in the third round. And so I think one of the judges actually gave him a 10-8 round. Oh, wow. In that third round. And that, the, yeah. re the reason, you know, he lost it was the other two gave him a 10-9. Or else it would have been a draw. It would have gone to another round. That would have been, been cool. kind of cool. That would have been cool. Would have been cool. Then he lost to Karatanov. Yeah. 
You know? Lost to Karatanov and lost to Mirko. Yes, though, that's right. You know, so I forgot about that one. He's, yeah, you know, he's had a run where it's been tough on him. He needs a win. But Frank, it's the same thing. Frank comes into Bellator. He, he gets something. And when you look and you go, I'd have taken it. Yeah. He got, he got a shot at fighting Fedor first. Yep. He takes that fight. Thinks he hurts Fedor. You know, goes after him. He gets tossed. Yeah. When he got tossed, he lost composure because it pissed him off. You don't get pissed in a fight. You don't get mad. You don't say, I'm going to get you back. Yeah. And you can say, all right, I'll get mine. That's different. And went after him and made a mistake. Got hit by a left hand that put him down and out. And then his second fight against Javi Ayala mm -hmm. in Hawaii just did not perform the way that we know he can perform. Got on top of Javi. But, you know, and I talked to him about it. It's sometimes the way, you know, the way you do practice is the way you do fight. And when you are practicing just to put in time and not press issues and not go after submissions and just ride guys, which is what I saw in his training, that can mean when you get in the real fight, you're doing the same thing. He went after, you know, a couple of Kimuras and I told him, I said, Frank, those were crap. Yeah. You know, and, I, and this is a guy I really like and I, I never want to hurt his feelings. I go, that is not the guy I know. No. That was a guy that was, <sighs> I'm just not ready for this i'm yeah. not into this i'm not trying to go after this and i look at him you know even tonight he looks good he looks like he's ready he's in good shape he knows how to win this fight you know now it may not be the, the way that everyone's thinking with a submission it may be that you know what he pulls out you know a book from like randy couture and dirty boxes a little bit yeah a lot of pressure go push him against cage break him down but he needs a win both guys need a win, so it'll be really kind of interesting to see how they both go about trying to get that win. I just want to say, and look, those of you guys that everyone thinking like this is not to, it's not about bashing the UFC. I'm just simply saying the guys that have come from the UFC have had a rough go. You know, a couple guys have won, a couple got a majority of them have had rough goes. <clears throat> Benson had extremely rough go. Oh my god! Yeah. Right off the bat when he fought Korshkov, I was like, ooh, you know. <laughs> he was. I, I was in the cage. I was going ooh too. It like, was, how are uh, you still a Man, he took some shots in that fight. You know, time. but I was mean, like, you know, you got Frank Mir had a rough go. <laughs> you know, you've, you've had these big country came in, had, you know, up and down a little bit. But it's like you, we have the guys that come over. They're all kind of, they're getting acclimated. They're getting, they're having rough goes. The two of them, though, like you said, they both need wins. The thing with Frank Mir is that he's southpaw. You and I were talking about this earlier. Big country relies, right now, so relies on his right hand. Yep. The overhand right and the right hand. Well, if Frank circles away from that, or he uses his footwork to stay away from Especially that, right Especially since hand, that's his open side. That's his open side, like you were he saying. He see it better. He sees it better. Everything. All he's got to do is circle away from that. If Big Country kicked a little bit more, I'd probably believe that he could maybe put him there. Yeah. I feel like he needs to do a little bit of what Nate Diaz does. Nate Diaz does like he pulls you into where he wants you to go, so he can hit you with the straight left. There's nothing on the slap. That's why the slap is there. You know what I mean? And I think if it's they, the Stockton slap. Yeah, if Roy Nelson wants to get the job done, I guess yeah. he's got to stay out of the clinch. He's got to keep his back off the fence and potentially even maybe threaten the takedown. Yeah. You know, and maybe put uh, put Frank on bottom so he can make him carry his weight, and make Frank tired a little bit more. I do I agree. agree with you. We just saw Frank get ready to walk into the workout room. He looks phenomenal. He looks great. But I'm gonna go back to this. I've heard this. Song and dance, I don't know how many times with Frank Mir, okay? And I'm not going to believe it until I see it, until I see him come out and perform at the highest level. I know he can do it, 
Yeah, just does he? But will he? That's yeah. the. That, it's always been the question with him. There's never been any. I don't think anyone's ever doubted the fact that he's fucking extremely talented. Man, there's been fights where you look and you go, "Oh, this is gonna be a tough fight for him," and he walks yeah. through a really tough opponent. You know, if you remember Todd Duffy, he that threw me way off. Crushed Todd Duffy. He knocked Todd Duffy out, and I was like. Holy shit! What Frank Mirrors? When he this? fought, when he fought Czech Congo, Czech Congo was on his way up. He destroyed Czech. Yeah. Just made him look like he didn't belong. And he has those moments that you go, man, this guy is good when he wants to be. When when this is in place yeah. and he's done the right work, he's a terror for anybody because he's a very intelligent fighter. You know, he's got a high fight IQ. He understands how to attack people. But when He's got other things going, and there's other thought patterns out there, and other things are taking his time. No, it's you know, it's just not the same fighter. But I'm gonna go back because I'm a training partner with Ed Ruth. I'm gonna go back to what we had talked about. Sometimes fighters try to they have too much control of their own camp, and when they have too I much control that. of their own camp, it's usually a recipe for disaster. Yep. Now Ed kind of found himself in that scenario when he was in San Diego, <clears throat> um, training Alliance when he fought Neiman Gracie. That shortly after that fight, he moved up to San Jose and started training at AK. Now, we all know Alliance is a good gym, got great talent out of there, but sometimes, you know, you have to find yourself kind of doing your own thing every once in a while. And that goes with any gym. Like yeah. AK is kind of that way as well. You kind of get pushed to the side a little bit when you don't have a big fight coming up. But if you're also not someone that's been there a long time, the trainers are still like, okay, I have the guys that yeah. I've been with for 15 years. Yeah, I got to stick with my boys. I got to stick with the boys, and you'll work your way in as we get more fights under the belt. Um, you know, Frank Mears had that problem, and he was controlling his camps for a while on his own. Absolutely. And you run into those issues where you don't know which Frank Mears is going to show up. Yeah. You know? Um, but the other thing I want to touch on was this. The two of them have sparred together. Two of them have grappled against each other. Two of them have helped each other get ready for fights. Yep. Because they live in Vegas together. Yeah. Like, not together, but right. they live in Vegas. They actually know? have different separate homes, separate yeah, wives. Yeah, separate homes, separate wives. Okay? Just we're clear. But they live, they live in Vegas. And so they... Obviously in Vegas, there's not a ton of heavyweights for them to train with, so they train with each other and they make each other better. Now they're on the same promotion, got to fight each other. What makes this fight, what's going to make this fight? I mean, for, what, what, makes you, what makes you think this fight's going to be any different than the first one? I honestly think the, the, just that singular fact of they both have to win. I'm being, I'm being honest when I go, either guy loses again, they, just, could, they could be... It could be out. I was going to ask you, does loser leave town? It's 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 been talked about, and yeah. I can't say for sure. And there's only yeah, one guy. I don't think anyone can say for sure. There's only Scott one. Scott Coger. Scott Coger. <laughs> that it. would be the guy that could say, oh, yeah. I can tell you, yes or no. Yeah. But, you know, heavyweights are hard they're, to come by. They're a rare breed, and they're not something that any promotion wants to let go of. And, yeah. and people will sit there and go, why do you, you know, why do you get rid of the lighter weight fighters? You know, there's a ton of them. There's just not a ton of really good heavyweights out there. So, I know you say that all the time. I say it all the know. time, man. <laughs> Sorry, man. Lightweight guys, we're the best in the world. Don't let anyone tell you guys differently, okay? We're the best fighters in the Featherweights, world. Featherweights, you're always going up and kicking the No, you guys, you guys are good, too. You guys are good, too. I'm just simply saying, people 185 and above. Eh, you guys are good. Uh, all right, let's talk about your card now. Man! Talk on oh, Saturday Sorry. Night. Oh, yes, go ahead. Sorry. There was one more fight I want to talk about. Can't do this. Because no. <laughs> there was one more fight I want to talk about. He's on the undercard, Let's hear it. but we have, we have called his fights before. We really like him, and we know that he's a good Mandel Nala. So good. I was just up in Toronto just the other day, mm -hmm. and you know, doing some media stuff and everything, and 
everyone there is asking me about Mandel Nalo and saying, what do you think of Mandel Nalo? What, you know, what, what does he need to do? What he needs to do is fight. Yeah. He's undefeated. He just doesn't fight. He fights like maybe once a year. Yeah. He's, you know, he's a good guy. He's a smart guy. He's got, he's a really smart guy. He married a doctor, <laughs> you know? And so really, that's probably why he doesn't fight. Exactly he why he doesn't fight. He, he tells you, he goes, I don't have to fight. He goes, I like to fight. He says, so I'll fight when I want to fight. And if I don't want to fight, I don't fight. And really, the only thing that's holding Nalo back is Mandel Nalo. Yeah. He has just got to come out and fight. more. He had a fight against Carrington Banks, and Carrington was you know, doing well. Mandel Nalo just, you know, yeah. just manhandled him, just made him, you know, whatever, wherever he wanted to go, he did. Ended up you know, putting him out in that fight. He's good, and yeah. he is a guy you look at. And he's he's out of TriStar, uh, you know. He works out, you know, Rory all the time, George, all of them, yep. and they all talk about how good he is. It's just a matter of is this what you want to do? He's seven and zero. He's only had one fight, and they go past two and a half minutes. Yeah, which was the Carrington Banks fight, yep. I believe. That is the other fights had all been finished. Yeah, I mean we've had him, we've had him do fights in fifteen seconds. Wow. Done. Crazy. You know, he's he's impressive. Just he's just got to fight more. But he's fighting. I can't even pronounce his first name. Mota, but eleven and one. Killer. Killers. Killer Mota. Killer Mota. So he's Killer Mota. Killer Mota. Tell, tell me about him. Killer Mota is a good fighter. He fights out. You know, he's from back here in uh, I want to say Connecticut. He's with Glover Teixeira, and and Mota's good. He's good everywhere, man. He's got a really solid ground game. He's an aggressive stand-up fighter. He's got good wrestling. He's very similar to Glover, just in a smaller, faster form in what he does. And so you can look and you, I'm going, well, this is going to say a lot. If, if Nalo does to Moto what he's done to everybody else, man, it's just, when does he want to fight for a title? Because he's that good. The question is, can he get rid of Kilimoto that, that way? And if he can, it's, it speaks volumes about exactly how good he is.